Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. This is where we're going to be rolling. I want to talk to you about two things before we get rolling. Uh, so one, one of the things is uh, my, uh, I've shared with you before, my dad grew up part of his years on a farm in Germany, and then uh, that was with my grandfather uh, and his family, my dad's family, was on a farm. And so they knew about farming. And uh, we didn't really have a farm, per se. We had a couple of acres in Santa Barbara, which I guess is a ranch, if you have a couple of acres in Santa Barbara. But um, it was a small place, and we had uh, lemon trees, and we had avocado trees, and my dad planted a bunch of fruit trees, too. I don't know, a bunch, 10, 15, whatever. And uh, I remember uh, he had talked to me about grafting, grafting. And I remember when my grandfather would come out, he would uh, graft uh, from one apple tree to another. And uh, what it is, I think most of you know what grafting is. It's taking a branch and then finding a good spot for it and then putting it together and wrapping it around. And then over time, uh, this one branch uh, becomes part of this other tree and uh, it, it, it's one. It's no longer uh, two pieces. And, and I, I know that most of us are familiar with that concept, but do you understand how crazy that is? Do you understand how just like miraculous and just off the chart wild that is? You know, if you, I remember as a, as a kid thinking about that and, you know, kids believe anything, right? And so you kind of thought that that was like a cartoon thing, that they were going to do something. And, and when it actually worked and then the graph took, and I just remember going, that's wild. That's wild. Um, and, you know, I grew up with that. And so it became uh, something very common. But at the same time, as I think about the concept of it, which we're going to be talking about today, it's an amazing thing that goes on uh, when a graft takes. The second thing, and, and a totally different element, I, I want to ask of you, who is Israel? Who is Israel? And when I say who is Israel, uh, when the Bible talks about Israel as God's people, who, who is that today? And I, I hope that you're confused by the question. Uh, because right now in our world, you can look at a map and there's a place and it's called what? Israel. And so uh, who lives in Israel? Israelites. If, you're, if, you live, uh, if you live in the United States, you're called Americans. If you live in Israel, you're called Israelites. I know those, I had a, a roommate from Argentina and he used to argue with me that he was an American too because he was from South America, but North America. And it, it just, my, my United States central world was offended by him. Anyways, but um, it, when we see today in Israel, uh, Israel as a country, and then we know those as uh, Jewish people, Israel, people from Israel, uh, it gets confusing real quick because... Uh, when we look at that and then we see the scriptures and are we saying, are those the same people that we're talking about in the scriptures? 
And I, all, all I want to do is I want to put some questions in your mind just to keep you fresh as we talk about this this morning. I want to share with you from Romans chapter 9 and, uh, as we begin our time. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Okay, so uh, we've already gone over this, but um, uh, listen to this. It says, but, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but uh, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. As you look at that, you realize that um, there's a question in Scripture of who are, is true Israel. Who, who are they? And I would say if it was true in the Bible, uh, in the time where the book of Romans was written, it's certainly true today. Uh, you can study um, the history of Israel or the Jews, and you can realize that different parts in history, there are groups of people who said, hey, I think it would be great to be Jewish, and so I'm going to. And they kind of switched over, and uh, over the years and times, you're not really sure who is uh, Israel and who is not Israel. But, but all I want to put in your mind right now is this, God knows, God knows. He's never been confused who his people are and who, you know, no one's ever cut in line. And no one, you know, this is something that God understands completely and perfectly, even as we look at this passage this morning. And so as we look at this, uh, know that God is working out his plan. And uh, as we have talked about many times before in our study of the book of Romans, that there in in a time where the church at Rome was there, and as Paul was directing them, multiple times in the book of Romans, he says, both Jews and Greeks, or Israel and the Gentiles. Uh, this picture of this two groups of people. And, uh, and so this morning, as we look at this, this is, I, I want you to keep that in mind, that we may not know who all of Israel is, and it may not be as it is today. Um, it may not be in our lifetime. I think it will be, but that's a different message. Um, anyways, uh, this is what is in view here in Romans chapter 11. Uh, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you this morning, starting in verse 11. God's word says this. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they... Uh, that they might fall by no means. Rather, uh, through their trespass, salvation has come to, to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as uh, then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough is dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump uh, for is rooted. For if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, uh, 
were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches uh, were broken off so I I might be grafted in. That is true. Uh, They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So you do not uh, become proud, but fear. But if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note, uh, note then the kindness and severity of, the, of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they uh, do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut uh, from what is, uh, what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? God, we ask your blessing on your word and help us to understand it now. Uh, God, as we think through how we should think about our, our own lives and the blessings you've poured out on us, our own faith in you, our own position in your plan, God, I ask that you grant us humility and grace that we might know you better. Uh, make it clear to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we uh, looked at something similar. He was talking about this position of Israel, of uh, God's chosen people, and and really God's continued relationship with them. And in verse 11, he asked one of those questions. He said, uh, do they stumble so far as not to recover? Is it something that uh, they can't come back from? As, as he's thinking about his relationship, God's relationship with Israel, uh, it can be concluded, um, are, are they never coming back? Are they never coming back? And so as we look at this, the, that question or that continued question is in mind. In verse uh, 11, we see, or verse 12, we see the transgression or the sin of Israel, the sin of Israel. And I want you to get this because I think it's important um, that as you see Israel, and, and, and I think maybe it's helpful to see it in this terms, there is a temporary setting aside of God's chosen people, the Israelites, a temporary setting aside. Now, I, I, I struggle to get these pictures in my mind because uh, God's not like us. He's not like us. How many of you have more than one project going on right now? And, and, and some of those projects have come to a standstill, right? There's nothing going on, and, and some haven't had anything going on for a long time. Sorry to bring you guilt on Sunday morning at Bear Valley Church. Um, that's not like God. That's not like God. But I will say this. As it is from God's eyes, there is this setting aside. He's still working. We're going to talk about some of the work that he's doing in Israel even today, even right now. Um, is setting aside 
But the focal point of his work is the church, is the church. And this is what Paul is getting at in this passage. But he first wants to talk about the sin of Israel, the sin of Israel. And as you think through the message of the book of Romans, and really not just the book of Romans, but the Old Testament, the, Israel was set aside to be God's chosen people. And what was the one thing, what was the one thing that uh, they were supposed to be uh, looking for? Just the one thing. It was like uh, all of, all of their, their prophecy, everything was pointing to a time and a place. They were looking for the Redeemer, the Messiah that was to come. This is, this is really the big one thing for them. Walk with me until I send this one. And the one came, and their large um, re- rejection was their large sin. And so as we look at this in verse 12, it says this. Now, if their trespass, uh, I'm sorry, let, let me back up to verse 11 again. So I ask you to stumble, uh, I ask you, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. I want to talk about that for a minute, and it comes up again and again. But what, what seems to happen as we see the plan of God, his focal point is Israel. His focal point is his chosen people and showing really the world his love by how he loves his people. And Israel, over and over again, you see the love of God poured out on his people. Was God good to Israel in the Old Testament? Yes. Was he patient with them? Yes. That's a good word, right? Patient love that he had for them. Why? Because those Israelites, they just could not figure it out. Right? Over and over and over and over again. God showed his faithfulness and they they praised him for a moment and then they, you know, walked away. Uh, I want to talk to you about that attitude, too, of us looking at the Old Testament and going, why couldn't they get it together? Um, there's gonna, that's going to come back for us as well. Anyways, uh, their transgression was the rejection of the Messiah and, and thinking that they're God's chosen people in a special way, but not taking his special gift of Messiah. That, that was the one. And you think about the book of Romans, there's... There's this, there's this picture. The Gentiles or the Greeks, they are sinners in need of a Savior. And then, and then there's God's people, Israel, the Jews, who also are sinners and need a Savior. This is the picture, the basis for all of Romans. And now he gets, once again, back to this, the Jews rejected, or the Israelites rejected, and uh, it opens up the door. And, and I want you to get this picture. If, if God's focal point, if the, the spotlight of God's work is on the, in, in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, it now switches. And there's this process where he says, oh, the, you didn't want me. You didn't want uh, my method, my plan, my son. And so now it turns to the Gentiles. And really, uh, that's what the book of Romans is talking about, but also that's what Paul's ministry is about. 
but in a in an interesting way Paul's ministry is for his people the Israelites and we'll, we'll figure out how that works together it's very um it's just interesting how it comes together so anyways um he says uh that salvation has come to the Gentiles that there's this idea that that uh God offers to Israel his uh, answer to their sin problem the Messiah and now he because of their rejection uh, salvation comes to those Gentiles those Greeks and it says this at the end of verse 11 so as to make Israel jealous that sounds uh, it's tough for us to hear because it, it, it uh, seems as though like when we think of jealousy um, if we if you know, I think of girls, forgive me. Uh, but um, if a girl says, oh, I want to make her jealous by doing this, by having this thing or talking to this boy or whatever, like I want to make them jealous. And I got this and you don't. And like you get that picture of this pettiness, but, but what in a much grander scale, and it's not wrong, it's God's method, is that as he offers Israel all of the benefits of him as they reject him. He says, okay, I'm going to take these benefits of relationship and allow them and and bring them and draw the Gentile, uh, the Greeks, the church to myself. And so this is what Paul is talking about. This is what he is sharing, the plan. And you can imagine uh, both people far and wide, Greeks and Gentiles, uh, are part of the Roman church, and also those of Israel who have um, accepted Christ sitting in the midst, hearing this and going, oh, yeah, that's how that does work. You know, that is how uh, it works in us, that jealousy God uses of our position um, means to draw us back. Verse 12, now, in their, now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches uh, for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And I just want to say this, we'll, uh, he's alluding to this throughout this passage, is he's saying this, he's saying, they skipped over the riches, they rejected the riches of God, so the whole world now gets the gospel. The whole world is experiencing the gospel and specifically Gentile churches are now coming to faith. And I want to tell you, as you read this, as you read this, we might not know who Israel is. We might not understand who the rest of the world is. But when you hear Gentiles and you think of a church, you should think of Bear Valley Church because this is the one you're in. This is the one you're a part of. And, and to realize how their rejection has brought the gospel somehow to you and that we could be in intimate relationship with God here now in a fellowship of God's people, uh, this is what uh, the plan of God has brought about. So to make Israel uh, envious, the riches from God now to the whole world and specifically to this Gentile church or Gentile churches of today. But he says this, he says this, and this is what's really, I think, both these passages last week and this week and continuing on are getting at. Uh, he says at the end of verse 12, he says, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Full inclusion. And what, what I want you to get here, and he doesn't give us many details, but God 
temporarily set aside Israel. He temporarily set aside Israel. He became the spotlight of the church that they might uh, come, we might come to know him as part of God's plan, both for us, but also for Israel. And then as things come to conclusion, there will be this, once again, a focus on Israel and him drawing many of them to come to know him. Okay, so that's the plan of God being worked out and we're getting bits and pieces of it. We're seeing bits and pieces of it, but we're also understanding from the scriptures what God is doing. And they were understanding it and it's hard to understand, right? Um, Why God would care about some people that had already rejected him, okay? Uh, And so that point one, the, the sin or the transgression of Israel. Now, This is a message, this is a message in the backdrop, this is a message to us, the Gentiles, okay? Uh, It's hard to imagine, but he's talking about all this thing that is of of Israel, but now he focuses back on the Gentiles, and he has a message for us that we need to hear this morning. Verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as, Then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Paul uh, was from from Israel. We learned that last week, but we also connected that to Philippians, where he talked about really his credentials as a Jew or an Israelite. And, And so he was from them. And so what God called him to do is to leave his people, is to leave his people, And in this passage, it tells us that he was uh, an apostle or a messenger to uh, the Gentiles. And that's kind of confusing. That's kind of confusing. I I, want to say this, that um, missions work is always unusual. It's always unusual. Because it is hard to go from one spot where you know everything and you understand you grew up to go cross-culturally and to try to understand a whole different culture, many times a language, food, just the way. This is so hard because it's so different. Uh, the most efficient way or the, the easiest way is for those who know a culture and know a place, know a language and grew up in it to share with their own people because they understand it. What you see in Paul is him going cross-culturally and as God called him to be uh, as he says here uh, that he is verse 13 I am an apostle to the Gentiles I'm one sent to the Gentiles it's it's God's mission for me to go to the Gentiles but then he says I magnify my ministry in other translations it says uh, I glory or, or I bring glory to my ministry and the idea here is this that it's not just the Gentiles, it's bigger than that. But I'm playing a, a role here. And you say, well, what's the role? I, I, I want to tell you that in, in Paul's mind always, though he is sharing the gospel with Gentiles, people that he is unfamiliar with or are different than him, he thinks of his own people and how God will use the coming church, the new church, uh, in their lives as well. Once again, in verse 14, he says, in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. 
I want you to get this. And, and it's an interesting, interesting thing. What, what is a, a powerful what is a powerful testimony that God would use to win people to himself? What is it? What's it like? Well, forgiveness, right? Forgiveness, for sure, you know. People have been lost in sin, and now they're forgiven. And, and, but, but what is it to be part of his church? What is it to be a follower of God? What is it to be... Uh, one of Jesus' disciples. It's this amazing thing where you have intimacy with God. You have intimacy with him through what Jesus did on the cross. Maybe I should say it like this. Um, and, and I've heard people say this. I've heard people say this. Have you ever um, wanted to be a part of somebody else's family? Ever been jealous of them? I know uh, I grew up um, in Santa Barbara, and my cousins uh, lived in the same town. I was always jealous of my cousins because <laughs> I only had one boring sister. She'll be at the second service. Uh, <laughs> but I only had one boring sister, and they had four kids. They had four kids. And, like, they had stuff going on in their house all the time. And it was fun and they had games and there, there was stuff happening. And I, I compared and I go, oh, I just wish I could be like them. And, and when I hear this word jealousy, the, the picture here is this. That someone who doesn't deserve to be forgiven, who is forgiven... And brought into the family of God, and not just brought into the family of God, but brought into the family of God with full position and inheritance. But not just that, but like to be truly loved in a family. And, and, and that's winsome, isn't it? That's winsome. Some of, some of you, that's what God did in your life to bring you to faith. You watched a church. You watched families within a church. You saw people's relationship with God and you said, I want that. I wish I had it. And so as Paul talks about his ministry to the Gentiles, of which he's called, he is mindful that their relationship with God, forgiven, that they don't deserve, will be winsome to some of his people. And I I want you to get this. This is what causes me to wonder about who Israel is. That he says um, at the end of verse 14, at the end of verse 14, he says, uh, to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Some of them. Uh, I want you to get this picture that when he talks about Israel being saved or all of Israel being saved. He knows who every one of them is. And when you think of Israel being saved, you're going, all those people live in that country, that little strip of land right there that everyone's always causing so much trouble about, like that. Every one of them, I'd say no. Every one of them who's truly Israel that God knows. So very important for you to get that picture uh, in your mind. He says, the apostle of the Gentiles, uh, His desire was for the Gentiles to know the Lord and then for that to be the one who, uh, the ones who would cause, arouse envy in them that some of them would be saved. 
If you look down, um, he gives us two examples of how this this is pictured. He says, verse 15, he says, for for if their... um, their rejection means reconciliation, being made right of the world, not all of the world, but for those ha- have an opportunity to reconcile with God, uh, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? He talks about this, this idea of being disconnected from true life uh, coming again. And then he gives two examples, first dough and then uh, uh, grafting. Verse 16 if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. The, the first, the, this idea of the first fruits of the dough uh, takes us to Numbers chapter 15, verses 19 through 21. We're going to pull that up on the screen. If, uh, it's, a, is there, it's coming. It's coming. Numbers uh, 15, verses 19 through 21. It's coming. There it is. Thank you. Uh, And when you eat of the bread of the land, uh, this is uh, talking about how God's people are supposed to give. And if you eat of the bread of the land, you shall present a contribution to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall present a loaf as a contribution, like a contribution from the threshing floor. So shall you present it. Some of the first of your dough, you shall give to the Lord as a contribution throughout your, your generations. Uh, this was giving. This was giving in, in Israel. And I, I picture that here at Bear Valley Church. You know, we're not going to pass the plate anymore, but leave your, your loaf of bread out there. And uh, uh, pastoral staff will eat that this week. And, uh, um, and uh, what happens is this. There, there's a, a big pile of dough, a big pile. And it's sustenance. And it's uh, made well and uh, it's uh, this dough, and, and then you bring the first of it, the, the, you know, make sure it's right, and then you bring, and bring it. And, and what happens? That loaf, that loaf, if that's good bread, what does it tell you about the rest of the dough? It's good as well. It's good as well. And this connection, as God connects uh, his people of Israel now to his people of the Gentiles, all going back to Abraham, Abraham, his special one. And I, I say Abraham uh, as being the first one, but, but know this, um, the Jewish people, they sometimes make such a big deal about Abraham. But I, I want to tell you, was Abraham special? And, and you say, well, yeah, he was special. God chose him out of the whole world to be the first of his people, you know, of course he is special. I want to say, yeah, he was special, but what made him special is that God chose him. God chose him. And I, and I want to tell you this, that everyone is common. Everyone is common in the Bible. But God's work in them is what makes them uncommon. So that first fruit or that first of the dough that makes right and thinking of is probably Abraham and really those, those early fathers and them connecting back to them. And then he uses the grafting illustration, verse 16, but now in verse 17, if you look at it, uh, verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. 
This is the picture. This is the picture. You have this olive tree uh, that's doing well, but there were some of the branches broken off. Who is that? It's Israel. That's Israel. They're broken off. What happens uh, when, uh, when branches are broken off? They're dead, right? They're, there's no hope for them. Uh, like, like when the elk or the deer come by your trees. Sorry to bring that up. My wife gets bitter. She gets bitter over such things. Anyways, uh, um, but, but this picture here is this, that those branches broken off are, are gone. They're no longer connected to where the source of that which is good, the source of life, where's the source of life? It's that which is in the ground, the, the root, the, the base of the tree. And the roots that come off it, that's where the nourishing part is. And I, I love how it says it uh, in here. He, he makes a big deal. He, he says, uh, verse 17, he says, the nourishing root of the olive tree. He says, there are those that were broken off. They're not connected to the nourishing part of the root of the olive tree. And then he says, there are those who have been grafted in. And as he talks to this church in Rome, he says, uh, you're the ones. You now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Verse 18, uh, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root who, that supports you. Now, this is where it comes in. I, I earlier made a crack about how in the Old Testament they just couldn't figure it out, Right? And, and this picture here is this, that when Israel was not connected to God, when they were as doing their own thing in unbelief, they, it was terrible. It was terrible. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourself. Uh, as you are not connected, if you're not connected to the one that gives life, uh, it's not good for you either. It's very similar, right? And his point here is this. Don't be arrogant. Don't, you know, there's an easy part. And the Jews struggled with it. And I want to tell you the church struggles with it too. Sometimes we look at the world. We look at Jews. We think at the world and we go, why are you guys so stupid? You know? If you'd just been as smart as me and turned to Jesus, you know, this is, and, and this picture here is this, that there is not life in in ourselves. There is not brains and desire and whatever. It's not in and of ourselves. It's as we are connected, as we are connected to the nourishing root of the olive tree. Verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Uh, if, uh, if you are, if you, if you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Um, and that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. I want you to think in your mind, what separates, what separates any person, Jew, Greek, Gentile, whatever, any person, what separates them from life? Unbelief. Unbelief. And I want to say this. It's not unbelief in a, a, a logical sort of cerebral type thinking type thing. It is unbelief as we 
live out our lives doing our own thing, not trusting in Jesus. Unbelief. Um, let's talk about that. So I kind of started rambling on there. Sorry. If you look down uh, verse, verse 20 again, let, let's look at verse 20 again. Uh, verse 20 says this, that, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Okay, so there's a message to the Gentiles. What is it? Uh, Don't be arrogant. You have a special spot. It's not about you. It's because you are grafted in. There's a special spot for you because the rejection of Israel. Know this, that it's all about you being connected to the root. Which brings us to verse 22, a wholehearted acceptance of the kindness of God. Wholehearted acceptance of the kindness of God. Verse 22, note, note, then that the kind, note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. As you look at this, uh, it comes and it's kind of a struggle to get through some of these things because he's, he's taking a picture or an example, an illustration, and then he's bringing it in and using some of those pieces and we're trying to figure this out. And, and some would take this passage to say, uh, you can be saved and then not saved and then cut off and you were but you weren't and then you're back in again and, and so on and so forth. I, I, I want you to know this. That this is in the context of him talking about election and the calling of God. And so he wants to give you a picture of our place or what we should be doing. And so as we look at this, I've titled this section, The Wholehearted Acceptance of the Kindness of God. Why? Because it's the kindness of, the God, of God that keeps us with him. I want you to get this because I think it's so powerful. Turn over to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And uh, we looked at this a long time ago because it's in chapter 2. Um, chapter 2, uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Um, it's the same word. It's the same concept, but he's using it in different ways. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. We got it? We'll get it in a moment here. No big deal. Um, this idea of kindness, the kindness of God. And, and when I think about the kindness of God, it's another way of saying the grace of God, the grace of God. It's that God is merciful and gracious to you. Why, why do you need his grace and mercy? Why do you need his grace and mercy? Because of the sins you commit and have committed, Right? You need him to be gracious and merciful because if he wasn't, uh, you wouldn't be there. Here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I want you to get this, and then we're going to move on from it. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says that God being kind to you being kind to you, that you understanding his kindness 
is what he uses to draw you into right relationship, into repentant relationship with him. There's a lot of different things that we can think about, but God uses his kindness to you to draw you to repentance. Now we're back in chapter 11, and he says, uh, he talks about this same idea of kindness. Uh, he says, note or make, take note or remember then the kindness and severity of God. He puts these things side by side, the kindness and severity of God. Kindness being this, that he wants you to be his. He wants you to be his as, as you are, as you are. You, you, you don't cut it. You, you, you don't cut it. I don't cut it. That's his kindness that he would let you in. It's his kindness that he would forgive you. It's his kindness that he would send his son to the cross on your behalf. It's his kindness that he would accept you into his family. It's his kindness that he would keep you in his family. It's his kindness. And side by side with that, he says, uh, remember, take note, take note of the kindness, but also the severity of God, severity for those who have fallen. And this picture here is this. He, he looks back to those who have rejected and will not believe. And the picture of severity is the chopping off, the chopping off. And, and I want you to get this picture. And, and it's important to get this picture and to put it side by side with his kindness. Um, ha, have you ever seen someone fall a tree? Um, some of you are, how many of you are tree lovers here? Tree lovers. Love trees. Um, if you've ever watched this, there's this, you know, it's like you're watching a murder go on, right? You know, and, and you, you see him fire up the chainsaw and the guy kind of looks at you like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know, I fire up the chainsaw. Maybe uh, there's an axe and they're, they're sharpening it. And they're just going, watch this, you know. And, and there's this idea of the severity, like the bringing down, the chopping down. And, and sometimes when we picture God, we say, oh, God is a God of love. And he is. And he is. But know this. Know this. There's a severity to him, too that he will chop down those in unbelief. That no one, it doesn't matter. So, so the picture here is this, and I'm going to start getting, moving into this area. Um, an Israelite, a Jew, uh, how do they think about their life? How do they think about their life? Oh, you know, uh, my name's Abe. My name's Abe. I was named after Father Abraham, you know. My family goes back, and I'm of this tribe, and we've lived in this land for this long, and, and we are this God's special people. I don't believe, but, like, I don't trust in Messiah, but, you know, I'm, I'm God's special people. He would never, he would never cast me aside. Now, now, now we're moving a little bit here, Okay. Um, some of you know this already about me. I, I grew up at Calvary Baptist Church in Santa Barbara. My grandparents were married in that church, okay? I come from a long line of faith, long line of faith. On my dad's side, 
Uh, my grandparents were believers as well. They were a part of a German-speaking church in Detroit and uh, church on the farm back in Germany. Come from a long line of faith. And sometimes when you grow up in that church, there's this idea that, you know, I, I'm not really buying into it. I, I'm not believing. I go when I can or I went when I was a kid or whatever. But, I, you know, it's a new day. It's a new day. You know, there's all kinds of technology. And, I, I, you know, we have refrigerators and iPhones and stuff. We, we what do we need God for? Uh, I, I want to tell you, that same attitude that was in Israel that says, I don't personally need to believe is part of his Gentile church as well. Of people who say, ah, you know, I don't, I don't really believe. I don't really believe. It's not that I reject it. It's just that, you know. And this is the picture here. It's for us to keep in mind his kindness, but also his severity. It's the last note. It's the, the idea as we think through Israel's rejection, we should consider our own heart of unbelief as well. Verse 23, he says, uh, And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. He keeps going back. He says, the, you know, they're set aside, but they're, uh, there's a grafting in again. Verse 24, For if you were cut off from what is... Uh, by nature, a wild olive tree and grafted in contrary to, na- contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And this is the picture that he concludes with. Uh, he says, there's a time coming, there's a time coming that those branches that have been broken off will be grafted back again into the place where they belong. This is what God's doing, and this points really to the end times plan, both of the, you know, the drawing of God's people and the last testimony and then the millennial kingdom, all these things coming together in what God is going to do in Israel. I want to conclude with three warnings for us. The first one is this, uh, warning uh, to warn you against arrogant unbelief, arrogant unbelief. Um, your background doesn't really matter at this point um, as adults. It really doesn't matter. Um, it, it matters like there's impact on you. But um, each person needs Jesus. Each person needs Jesus. For the Jew, the Greek, for the homeless, for the wealthy, for whoever. Everybody needs Jesus. There's a, a, there, there's a warning that because of your situation, because of your heritage, because of where you are, because of what you're a part of, um, that you can be unbelieving within that and still be okay. And I just want to warn you, as God would warn you through his word, there's a warning against arrogant unbelief. Secondly, uh, there's a warning for us in this passage or a reminder uh, against thinking God is not working, is not working. I want to tell you that he is working in Israel. He is working in Israel. He is working in America, in the unbelieving world right now. And uh, he is working in his church to draw people to faith. And he's using, he's using his church and that beautiful relationship, that kind relationship that he has with us, he's using that to draw others, to, to cause them to come, especially his own people.
God's not done building his church, or nor is he done with Israel. Uh, yeah, and then lastly, then lastly, a warning against personal unbelief. A warning against personal unbelief. Um, I, I, I want you to get this. I, I spoke of it earlier, and I should have said this earlier, but um, the same kindness, the same kindness that calls you to faith is the same kindness that should keep you in faith. You should go over it and over it and over it. And as you wake up in the morning, as you think about the dumb things that you need to do for your day, and as the things that you do and don't want to do, and the things that are going right and the things that are going wrong, for you to say, my God has been kind and gracious and merciful to me. I'm undeserving of my position. And may that, that kindness of his shoo away any unbelief uh, that we would continue in his kindness, continue to walk with him. God, may we be overwhelmed by your kindness to us. May we understand the gospel, uh, that you loved us so much that you sent your son. God, I pray for each one here that they would uh, be drawn to you, that uh, they no matter their their background, that they would understand their need for you uh, and that grafting process, that they would be a part of that which is life. God, thank you for this morning. We praise you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.